0: 21st century entrepreneurship with Martin Piskarik.
1: Let's start with the waving influence. So, what drove you to start waving influence as a company, and what is the origin of the name? Because it's a very interesting name.
0: Sure, I'll, I'll start with the origin of the name, Martin. Um, I had been doing some freelance work in social media marketing, and this it, it actually the name came before the business because I had been doing some blogging, and I wanted to start my own blog. And so I asked my husband to help me think up a name for a blog, and the uh, the blog would be about social media marketing, about relationships, about leadership, and so I. Use the name Weaving Influence for this blog that I started and it was in about 2010 or 11. Uh, my husband came up with the name. He's amazingly creative and he came up with the name and I immediately loved it because it, it ha- you know, it evoked this feeling of, you know, the convergence of making a difference in the world and leadership, and people always love the name. I started doing some work, and it was like the beginning of my company, and at the time I was using the name for my company, 12-Minute Media, and the reason behind that was, you know, I wanted to teach people how to use small amounts of time, but use it to to build their online influence. And I actually have an e-book on um on Amazon called uh, Twitter Tips, 31 Days of Twitter Tips, Grow Your Online Influence 12 Minutes at a Time. So the 12-minute media was the original name for the business. But what I found was um, that, that the name Weaving Influence was resonating much more. And so as I transitioned into owning the agency, I switched and used Weaving Influence as the company name.
1: What need uh, does Weaving Influence fill in the market?
0: Sure. So we are a digital marketing agency. As I got started, the original need that we were filling was partnering with authors on using social media to market their books. That's kind of where we began. But along the way, we added services to support Authors, thought leaders, consultants, trainers, others with their digital marketing needs. And the problem that we're solving is helping people to create the biggest possible reach for their work. So, whether that's a book, whether that's an idea, whether that's a nonprofit cause, whether that's a business, we want to help our clients to use social media and other digital marketing approaches to effectively reach those people who need their messages.
1: Okay, any analogs, antilogs? So, for example, there are some big names on the market like Scribe, why you and not some other
0: so, you know, one one thing that I think that is interesting, uh, Martin, is that, that I don't really view necessarily any companies to be direct competitors to us. I love to collaborate with others who are doing similar work. But I would say what stands out about us is that uh, we are able to partner with authors, especially authors of business books, to help them really understand the various steps that they need to go through um, as they bring their work to the world. So a lot of times authors have no idea what's required of them when they market a book. And particularly authors who have a traditional publisher, they expect that the publisher will do a lot to help them get their book out. They expect the publisher will do a lot to help them market. The reality is, and even my friends who work in traditional publishing houses, they'll tell you the amount of marketing that the, publisher does is so little. And every author needs to become the chief marketing officer for their book. So what we're doing really, uh, as we work with authors is we're not only giving them kind of strategic guidance and partnering with them to help them navigate what can be confusing in in bringing their book to the world but we also provide hands-on execution support which is quite different so most of the time when an author is going to hire a team to help them with their book they only think in terms of public relations or media relations so they're wanting to partner with a, an agency or a firm who's going to pitch them to the media, pitch them to podcasts, get them articles. And what's different really about the way that we work is that we have a comprehensive approach. So public relations or media relations is only one part of what an author can do to spread the word about their book. And we really cover all the possibilities in helping authors think about how they can uh, reach audiences. I'll give you an example, Martin. One of the things that I love to do is help authors plan and execute what we call a virtual launch party. So a virtual launch party is an online meeting, usually on Zoom, where the author invites their friends, family, colleagues. And at the moment that their book is coming out, they rally support. And as a team, we help the author my role often is to tell the people who have come to the party what they can do to help their friend get the word out about their book, um, and that's not something that I've seen many other companies doing—is you know, planning and executing and supporting authors through these virtual events to help promote their books. So that's another example. So beyond even media relations or PR, which we do as an organization, we just do—you know—almost anything that you can think that you could do to promote a book online, we provide that support to people.
1: Can you go more into your organization and your team? Can you share a bit uh, about your team and how they help contribute to Waving Influence's success?
0: Sure, I would love to. So uh, one of the things I figured out really fast when I started my company back in 2012 is I thought at first, all I had to do was come, is come up with a strategy. So I would meet an author, I would give them all the creative ideas, and they would go and implement them. But what I found out really quickly is most of them needed that hands-on help to do the work. So my team um, is comprised of, there are 10 of us who are employees. We have about 15 more who are contract workers. And Every author is paired with a project manager. The project manager is the one who partners with them week in and week out to implement their approaches to market their books effectively. Most every author, if they've hired us to do media relations also has a PR or media lead. We also have social media specialists. So when we're working with clients, we may have a client who wants us to write all the content for their LinkedIn or all the content for their Twitter. And so we're writing and scheduling and growing clients' social media accounts. We're writing and scheduling and sending email marketing. Um, And we have graphic designers, we have video editors, we have audio editors. We have a really comprehensive team. And so whatever skill we need, on the project, we will have those people contribute. Uh, There are also a few of us who are strategists and my main role in the company is developing new business. So I talk with people who might wanna work with our organization. I also um, work as a strategist. I'll partner with clients to craft a strategy for their digital marketing. Um, And I also, of course, lead the team (laughs) Um, and, you know, work on that side so there's the whole like building this organization side that i do but there's also you know the interacting with and serving our clients as well
1: and the beautiful thing is is everything under one roof so so design and and communication so everything is synchronized i suppose
0: Yes, it, that is true. We did, you know, early on in my journey, we, we focused on that a lot because with digital marketing, the most important asset is your website. And in the beginning, my team would say, oh, we don't build websites. Well, guess what? We started building websites because our clients needed a partner who could really think strategically about branding, you know, all you know all the things that you wanna do when you wanna build an online um presence for yourself so we really do provide almost every service for places that we don't provide service we always are happy to refer out one thing I've noticed is that most authors need an executive assistant we do not provide that VA or virtual assistant or executive assistant support necessarily but we always encourage our clients to find that support because chances are if you're doing a lot of marketing and you're trying to run a business, you might need some other help that that we don't provide. But on the marketing side, we pretty much do everything.
1: A lot of us are coping with those likes and, and uh, uh, traffic and engagement, etc. So what, what do you think about vanity metrics?
0: Oh, I hate those vanity metrics. However, um, one of the challenging things if you want to, to write a book, especially if you want to attract a traditional publisher, um, in the process of doing a book proposal, a traditional publisher wants to know that you're going to be able to sell a book. and really the vanity metrics are the only ones they have. So what what I try to encourage authors to do, and instead of thinking about platform, I encourage authors to think about building a community. And in my mind, the most important metric is not a vanity metric at all. It's the size of your email list of people who have given you permission to email them. So of all the metrics that there are to, to look at, to me, that's the most important one. Because we found that email marketing converts better than any other digital marketing tactic. Um, now that said, you know your social media accounts can be the place where you're building awareness to get people back to your website, so they sign up to to receive your newsletter. But, you know, for example, if you think about metrics, if you go on my social media accounts, you might go to my Twitter and see that I have over 30,000 people following me. And you might think that's phenomenal, right? It, it's not like off the charts, but it's it's a pretty solid number. The truth is I get very little engagement from Twitter. I've been on Twitter a long time. I grew it a long time ago. It, it's really meaningless. Uh, what's more like interesting or helpful is, you know, the 6000 that i have on linkedin that's a community that's more engaged with me more meaningful um but the most important number is my email list which we have about 17 to 18000 on our company email list that is a powerful number those are people who have given me permission to write to them via email who you know a percentage of them will open my emails a percentage of them will click through my links will you know answer an email will personally engage with me. So I would encourage you know people to think about which metrics matter the most to them. And quite often, it depends on what you're trying to achieve. Of course, all that said, you know if you want to get a, a publishing deal with a traditional publisher, they're going to be looking at all the numbers, and they want you to grow all of them as big as you can, as fast as you can.
1: I suppose it was not always so nice What are some of the biggest challenges or some of the challenges?
0: Oh, so many challenges. I could talk about that all day, Martin. One of the things that's been challenging along the way, and I will say at the moment uh, and for a long time, we've had the the best team. You know, I think about the men and women who work with me and their character and their dedication and their kindness and their collaboration with each other. You know, my team is fantastic. But across 10 years, I've certainly hired people who didn't work out. And when you hire someone and it doesn't work out for one reason or or another, maybe they're not quite who they seem to be in the interview process, or, you know, they have other you know challenges along the way and kind of fitting into the company culture. That's hard. So I, I would I would definitely say you know um, hiring the right people has been a challenge of you know really figuring out who are we as an organization, what are the values that are most meaningful to us, and how do we attract and retain the right team members. So that's that's one. I'd say another one honestly is is the whole idea of well how do you create an approach that's sustainable financially over time you know i and i will own and you know if people listen to this so be it money is not my most important metric in life and so as an entrepreneur i wonder if sometimes that's like a disadvantage um along the way i identified generosity as being one of the core values of my company so when you use generosity as a core value one of the things you're deciding really in advance is that Um, it's not only about profit for the owner of the company. Like I want all the people in my organization to benefit financially when we create profit. Um, And so just figuring out, you know, how do we price in the right way to create profitability? You know, what's the right amount of money to pay people Uh, So that they're happy, um, but also so that we can be profitable and you know the past few years, especially with COVID, have been challenging, you know, on the upside, you know, here in the United States, there have been some financial programs that have helped entrepreneurs. I'm sure you've heard about the PPP. There's also um, this employee retention credit, which is a tax credit. So thankfully, um, even though I had reduced revenue in my organization in 2020 and 2021, those two years of of COVID, um, we did have uh, you know, this upside of some support from the government that's allowed us to remain functional and keep our team employed and all of those things. So, yeah, uh, those are just a couple of the challenges. I'll, I'll share one more. I think, um, you know, as as CEO or as the owner of the company, there's just sometimes this loneliness that, that happens when you're the leader. And, you know, really, figuring out like how to build friendships. You know, I'm busy building a company. I don't have a lot of time outside of work. Um, And on the upside, there are some women who have been in my company for a long time. Uh, The two vice presidents in my company have worked with me for a long time. And so we have, we have created this support for one another, but, you know, at the end of the day, which I hate that phrase, we we should take that word out. But at any rate, you know, the pressure is still on me, you know, Um, and sometimes it feels very heavy to think about all the people whose life and livelihood is dependent upon me making this business work.
1: Let's go to your book. What inspired you to write your book?
0: Well, I've always wanted to be an author, Martin. I grew up, you know, loving books, loving reading. I think that's one of the reasons why, as my company began to develop, it was such a perfect fit for me. No, I started my company at age 41. So it was really like a new career with me after having stayed home with children. Um, So really from the time I started to work with authors, as I got to watch their journeys, as I got to see how powerful a book was in helping them to build their own thought leadership brands, helping them to build their own businesses, you know, from 2012 or before, I always wanted to write a book. I, along the way, a couple of times tried to get contracts uh, with the publisher, and got a few no's along the way. Um, So, you know, why does anyone write a book? You write a book because you have a message to share that is of value to others. You know, a book can scale your ideas in a much easier way than one-on-one conversations. So I wanted the chance not only just for the joy of writing the book, which it was you know, a joy to write it. I love to write. I love, you know, being able to make space and time for creativity. Um, but also just the benefit to my organization as a whole. So we've been talking a lot since we passed our 10-year anniversary. You know, we have a 10-year reputation of providing this valuable service to authors. And the book is part of that uh, because we have also the knowledge and the approaches that we've developed. So I wanted to put those into a format that people could, you know, easily access.
1: and the energy is is amazing. Some videos that I saw regarding the book, those beautiful orange colors, music, uh, messages, everything, the energy is absolutely fantastic. Can you say something more about the energy?
0: As I was writing the book, I I discovered that writing a book is a process of discovery. And you start with one idea in mind. And as you begin to write, what emerges is the really powerful way that your ideas are codified or clarified in a way they never were before. And I'll share an example of that with you. So as I was writing the book, I was thinking, okay, what are those key factors that cause a person to grow influence online? What is it that, across various experiences or observations, what have I seen those to be? The interesting thing that happened is in between the first draft of my book and the final draft of the book, my editor said to me, this word factors, four factors, it's really weak, like we need a different word here. And he threw out some ideas and we landed on the idea of four commitments. And I think the idea of four commitments that you would make to create the biggest possible reach for your work is very powerful. Powerful. Because we can all understand the language of commitment. So I don't know, Martin, if you're married. I've been married nearly 30 years. You know, what keeps a marriage going is a commitment. It's this vision of something bigger, more important um, than, than anything. And uh, when we think about growing online influence, as I as I was researching the book, what came out of these four commitments, and I think they're true across the board for anyone who wants to make a difference in the world, anyone who wants um, to reach more people with their messages, and I'll tell you a little bit about them. Therefore, the first one is value. So anyone who wants to make a, a bigger difference online, and Martin, for you, for example, when you started the podcast you did it probably because you had value to share with others and that commitment to value is the primary commitment because without value you can't attract an audience people are attracted because they think you have something to offer them so the first and most important commitment is to value and you know value may be perceived differently Um, in the book i use an example that you know when you're a, a parent of small children the thought leader you wanna follow is the one who's gonna help you get your kids to sleep better at night because as a parent of young children, you're tired. Well, once your kids are teenagers like mine, I don't need anyone to tell me about how to get my kids to sleep. So that's not a value to me anymore. So the idea is you wanna make sure that you're clear about the audience you're trying to reach and what is valuable to them. And then you wanna create as much value as you can. So, the second commitment is a commitment to consistency. And consistency is important because no one's going to follow you if you show up intermittently with value. They're gonna follow the ones who are consistently delivering value, whether that's week after week or month after month or day after day. In the story, I talk about my friend, Dan Rockwell. I don't know if you've met him, Martin, but Dan Rockwell is a blogger he writes Leadership Freak. Dan has been writing daily blog posts about leadership five days a week for more than a decade. And so if Dan has grown an audience, and he has, he has hundreds of thousands of people following his blog, it's because he keeps showing up day after day after day. So that commitment to consistency is really critical. Now, for those who say, well, I can't write a blog post every day for 10 years, that's okay. Not everybody has to have that kind of consistency. But whatever cadence you are able to sustain, if you continue to show up consistently, you will draw a bigger audience. So the third commitment is a commitment to longevity. And uh, Dory Clark wrote a book called The Long Game, she goes way into detail. But in my book, one of the things I talk about is that, you know, you can't really grow an audience overnight. And later, maybe I'll tell you a story that I have in the book about 500 trees, but you know, we really have to have a long-term view of showing up with value in a consistent way. Uh, The final of the four commitments I mentioned earlier is generosity. And I think the more that we can be committed to sharing value freely with others, our time, our energy, our ideas, uh, the more we will draw people to, to ourselves. And generosity is this unexpected element, but in every single case of the thought leaders that I studied, it emerged as important. And what I have learned, you know, more than anything else as a business owner is that I can never give away more than what comes back to me. And it it happens all the time, like in the craziest ways. So Martin, I was mentioning to you the different programs that the United States has had to help business owners during the pandemic. Well, you know, it hasn't been easy over the past few years. And it's like, it feels like every month it's just kind of scraping together. Like, are we going to make a profit this month or not? So, yesterday morning, one of my VPs called me on the phone and she said, It's a very good day. And I said, Tell me more. What happened? Well, we weren't aware of this employee retention credit. And apparently, we're, we're eligible for it. And we're getting a huge sum of money not, I mean, huge, about 15% of our annual revenue. How about that? To me, you know, that's, that's significant. And so I said to Amy, Amy, do you know why this is happening? And she said, why? I said, this is generosity. Like we have been giving and it, it always comes back and you never know how, or you never know when, um, but it always does. And so that's one of the reasons why I just keep giving as much as I can all the time, not, because I want to get it back in return, but just the joy of giving. Um, and it, it, you can never deplete what you have is, is what I've experienced.
1: Baking in five years, your company in five years.
0: Uh, me in five years? Yes. Oh, wow, that's hard. So I'm still trying to figure that out.
1: Or let's say this way. So your your biggest nightmare in five years, Becky, biggest nightmare in five years, and the sweetest dream in five years.
0: Uh, the sweetest dream in five years. So prior to the pandemic, I would have told you that I wanted to double revenue and I wanted to double the size of our team in five to seven years. Um, you know, when the pandemic hit, I was like, oh, I don't know, uh, it, but here's what I would love. My dream w- would be like consistent growth for our company, um, so that we can continue to create opportunities for people to do great work in, on our team. You know, maybe, maybe now let's, uh, rather than double, maybe we grow by 50% in five years. Um, And, you know, we we figured out all the things that are challenging us right now so that we're consistently profitable all the time. Um, I'd love to write another book in the next five years. I actually talked to my editor about the next book. So potentially this is 2022, maybe another book in 2024 2025. So five years from now, maybe I have three books. The story of the 500 trees is a story that I created uh, when my husband and I moved into a new house back in 2016. So we live on five acres, it's surrounded by trees, it's the most peaceful and private environment that you can imagine. But if you go back 30 years to when this house was built, uh, it was a wide open cornfield. You could see the road, uh, and the owners wanted to create privacy, and so uh, 30 years ago, uh, the owner of the house, his name was Mike, he bought 500 trees. They were so tiny, Martin, that they fit into a wheelbarrow. And he and his children painstakingly planted those 500 trees. They probably planted 300 more. And they did it because they had a vision of what they wanted this land to be. Um, I think at the time, they intended that the property would stay in their family. So they had a vision of this private tree-surrounded property that their family could enjoy for generations to come. Um, And so they created uh, that consistent action of planting and cultivating the trees looking ahead to the future that they couldn't yet see. Uh, Those of us who want to grow influence online to build an audience and build a community need to have the patience of someone who would plant 500 trees and wait for them to grow. knowing that the impact of the decisions that you make today can influence generations in the future. So that commitment to show up with value in a generous way consistently over a long period of time will create a future that you can't even imagine yet. And so I would encourage those who are listening, if you're building a business or writing a book or uh, fueling a nonprofit cause or have a message to share, uh, just to remember the 500 trees and be someone who would be the one to, to wait to see what difference you can make in the world. So for those who would like to learn more about me and Weaving Influence and my book, there are a few ways that people can get to know me better. So you can visit my website, weavinginfluence.com, or to learn more about me personally and the book, go to beckyrobinson.com. My book, Reach. Create the biggest possible audience for your message, book, or cause is available at all the online retailers. And one of the interesting things about the book is that at the end of every chapter is a QR code. It's the same QR code throughout the book. But if you scan the QR code once you have the book, you have the opportunity to get into a free online course where I created more resources to help you on your journey. Uh, So when you buy the book, you're not only getting the book, you you also get the course for free. Um, The other thing is I do have a podcast. It's the Book Marketing Action Podcast. We um, do two podcasts per month. And uh, if you uh, listen to the podcast, you'll get ideas about how to grow your online influence and market your book. 21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskarik.